Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. Okay, Dr. Lauren Cook, thank you so much for speaking to us on the Resolve podcast. Thanks for having me on, Noah. Happy to be here. So, Dr. Lauren, um, we got connected to you primarily online through Instagram and your presence and following there. You're involved in a number of initiatives related to mental health, coaching-related issues with students, workplace, um, finding your place, finding your purpose in the Mm -hmm. world and navigating that as you move outside of the school system as well. Just tell us how you got involved with this and and what it means to you. Yeah, well, I love working with college students. I did all my doctoral training working with college students. That's really where my heart is. And a lot of my clients now, I've worked with them beyond college. So I really see up close and personal that pretty big life transition of going from college to the next step. And I really want people to feel supported through that because it can be such a time where sometimes it feels like the floor drops out from you a little bit. And you feel like you're in the great wide unknown. And so anything I can do to help give give folks grounding through that is something I find really meaningful. Well, you know, I have a one-year-old and I'm I'm watching routine and, you know, structure and order and everything is so important. And mm-hmm. through, through elementary school, middle school, I don't know how the, the terms in the U.S. that we talk about, um, junior high, I don't know exactly, but it's- You say middle school too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're not that different. Um, regulating emotions, learning how to skillfully manage life. It, it, it's obviously very hard. People with executive function deficits, it's not only that uh, their brains have not developed, and you can probably speak to this to a certain, to the highest level until maybe they're 25 years old or, or whatever. Not only that, school as a job is really hard. Um, you have to manage your own time. There's no boss. There's no schedule. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a chaos. And I, I I always tell students that your job is actually harder than somebody who has a nine to five job. 100%. It's harder. I agree with that. That is so important to name. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just crazy. Sorry. That was a, a side point that I wanted to, to get into is, is, but everything is really, aside from the fact that executive functions are hard, many people have a story that's been said. Most people aren't considering, thankfully, leaving school. Um, many will graduate and go into high school and even think it's a given that they're going to do post-secondary studies. The script is pretty clear, but you get to a point where you finish and the the comfort of the script is gone and there's a huge void. Can you maybe tell us about your experience navigating that change from the script being written to being a little bit unknown? Absolutely. I, I talk about that all the time with my husband, actually, you know, watching him go you know, from high school, college, straight into to law school. And he really kind of went through a crisis afterwards of like, is this the rest of my life now? I'm supposed to work for the rest of my life? You know, we're so used to having this structure and this goal set pattern of like, all right, get through this academic year, get through these next four years of school. And then, like I said, it's like the rug being pulled out from under you. In some ways that can be such a liberating feeling, but especially for folks who may struggle with anxiety, which is something I'm very open about in my own lived experience. 
it's a very unnerving feeling of having so many choices and yet not always knowing really what to do. And what I often find for a lot of the students that I work with, we're often kind of letting life happen to us. You know, uh, we're going through the motions in a lot of ways because everybody is telling us what to do. Our teachers, our parents, there's always somebody kind of regulating the schedule. So then when it's up to us to make as huge of a decision as what to do with a career or a life purpose or a passion, it's really unnerving and even at its worst debilitating because we don't even know how to take that first step. So that's why I love to help students really come back to what are your values? What does matter most to you in life? And that can help inform those decisions uh, because it really can feel like such an overwhelming choice. Yeah, you mentioned, we talked about this a little bit off the air if this is okay, that that new waves of therapists in this generation can be a bit more open about mental health, not pretending that, that you know they're different from the human experience than we all are, which is also a reflection of new types of therapies that have become popular and emerged where we, we normalize the mental health experience. So yeah. what was your experience like? Tell us a little bit about your story and how you found yourself to where you are now. Absolutely. You know, so I'm a tried and true millennial. I'm, I'm 31. I'm open about my age. And, you know, there were a lot of signs that I had some pretty intense anxiety growing up, but it was never described in that way. I would have crippling nightmares every night. And from a very young age, I had what's called the metaphobia. I still struggle with it today. Phobia of vomit. <laughs> it's not so fun. And um, being in my first trimester of pregnancy right now, I can tell you it's really not so fun. Oh my but, gosh. I know, but congratulations you know, though. I hope, I hope things are as amazing and as well as possible for you and your body. Thank you. No, it's, it's such a happy time. It's been, it's actually been a very good corrective experience and some good exposure therapy, honestly. Um, but you know, I really was seeing how my anxiety was starting to dictate my life. It developed into having a lot of panic attacks for me personally. I'm not so much a generalized anxiety person where I'm a worrier about different things. My my brain doesn't go that way so much. But if you give me a specific trigger, like somebody getting sick or me getting sick, we're going to go full-blown level 10 panic. And it's such an instinctual, out-of-control experience. And it really can get out of hand very quickly. And I was finding that in my own life. And so you know, I think we're often called to do the work that we live with <laughs> oftentimes ourselves. That's why I do love working with anxiety because I know how painful it can be. You know, a lot of folks um, struggle with anxiety and it kind of gets brushed off. I hear all the time, oh, well, everybody's anxious. But if you really do live with anxiety, it is, you know, one of the hardest things to go through sometimes. So I really like to give folks support because I have gotten through to the other side of it. I still struggle with it. But even though the choice to like get pregnant and have a baby was such a a big turning point for me and knowing that I have been doing the work because for much of my life, my anxiety was so bad. I didn't even want to have a baby, right? Because sickness is a huge part of that. So um, I got to a place where I realized, you know what? I don't want my anxiety to win my narrative, my life choices, Anxiety is going to be part of the picture for me sometimes, but I'm not going to let it run the show. And what's so regulating about dealing with anxiety in this format where you're evaluating its usefulness, you can't control the feelings themselves, but evaluating the usefulness and the function of acting on the anxiety or letting it dictate your life, it depends. Yeah. What do you want out of your life? What do you care about? For example, if you live in Canada 
and you are afraid and just to make things really simple and you're afraid of kangaroos so mm -hmm. you might lose out going on a trip that you could have gone on a trip to australia and it could have been a fun time but generally mm -hmm. speaking you could continue to let anxiety ruin your life rule your life there because it's taking up 0.02% of your time space and energy but if you have one if you have a life partner and you think i want to have a family and i know that my anxiety is related to whether i'm going to vomit how i'm going to handle that etc cetera, etc cetera, the the goal that you have the value or the value that you have that you want to commit to is so high and so powerful and is maybe a 97% of this matters to me that it, it'll be easier for you, not easier to, you're gonna have to handle it no matter what, but it'll be easier for you to commit and take those steps because it's it's there and it's part of the most important decisions that you're making in your life. And it, you don't want that to be taken away from you. Whereas you might be okay with the kangaroo, never seeing the kangaroo. There you go. You've said it perfectly. And, and you know, I think it is really easy for us to make our choices in, in a place of avoidance, right? Like it could be very easy for me to go through my life and not make that choice to have a family. But, you know, when you start to feel that pull of even the potential of regret of like, I think I would be really sad if I didn't see this through because of the anxiety, that was my big indicator of, okay, it's time to step into the discomfort. And, and it's an on it's ongoing, but you're, you're moving towards it and it's, you're there and you're, you're, you're facing it, you know, each and every day. And when it comes to the student life and let's particularly talk about the transit. Well, I think it starts earlier. Mm -hmm. I wonder if people start, go from high school and transition into post-secondary, whether it's to a college or university. And in, in order to not have to face the existential struggle of how do I want to live and what is my life about? We just go to school and we choose a program and it focuses us. It gives us attention, energy, concentration, but the questions, the bigger questions about who I am and what my, what is my life going to be about get delayed. And then mm -hmm. maybe you start to deal with it when you can't avoid it any longer, or you might just do what, what you mentioned your husband did. And I'm not saying Everybody who does that is at all lost in any way because you might have always known you wanted to be a lawyer. You might know exactly what you want, and that might not be for you. But maybe you go to the next thing that creates the next structure for mm -hmm. two years of law school or three years because, yep. okay, it makes sense. It's it's enough. It'll take away the – it'll quell the feelings, and I can delay the question for later. So what yep. are the questions that we are avoiding as students? What are the things that we – need to face because if we face them we're going to have be much more clarity on who we are which is priceless but what may cause us anxiety in the process of having to deal with what are some of the big questions that students need to ask themselves whether it's after high school or after undergrad what are those questions mm, i'm so glad you bring this up because you're right it's so easy for us to just go through the motions for as long as we possibly can i think you'll really have to ask yourself what would bring me a sense of purpose and fulfillment in my life? What would meaning look like in my life? We were talking before we hit record about third wave tenets of therapy and, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy is so big on that. Of What are your values? And, and I'll share this with you after, if you want to share it with listeners, my values guide goes through a hundred different values and sorts out for you, you defining your top 10. I think you have to be very clear and honest with yourself of, what's actually my true values, not what society thinks I should value or mom and dad think I should value, what's true for me. Uh, and I think you kind of have to have an element of, of fearlessness in doing that, of 
you know, especially that time in college, it is such a good time in your life to take that leap of faith. Um, you don't always have those other time commitments as much that can impact the decision-making process. You don't want to put yourself pressure on yourself in that way of like, okay, now's the time. But there is that liberation in a way of like, okay, let me take a leap here. And I'm, I'm a behavior so heart Noah. Like, I think it's really good for people to do internships, talk to, uh, when I was in college, I probably talked the ear off so many people of just asking them, what's your life look like? Like, what's a day in your life with your career? Start putting yourself in their shoes because the best way you're going to see what you're going to enjoy living out is behaviorally to live that experience. So intern at a place that excites you. Um, talk to people who you see doing your potential dream because you're either going to have that affirmed or for a lot of us, you have that disconfirmed of like, ooh, that's actually not what I want. Um, and then you're not postponing, you know, five years of your life to discover, oh, wow, I actually hate surgery and shoot, I just finished medical school, you know? Yeah. So we want to try and in the short term, have to face things in the long term, waste less time, move into move in better directions that save, like say, not save, well, kind of save time because you've, you've directed yourself in the right place. But values, I find that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's this big word. It means, you know, it, it means, I mean, there's values for different key areas of life, whether it's about, you know, your career, um, your relationships, your habits or sorry, your hobbies, things that you enjoy, your health, your spirituality. So they're just broad, almost platitudes, but values are platitudes and they need to be almost reflected in some direction mm -hmm. in that, that is taken from the abstract into something more real, which in, 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 in the act we'll say from, you know, values to committed action. So yes. how, but a student comes in and they're, they're, they're in grade 12 or they're, or they're finished their undergrad and they, they, they're trying to say, how do I define my values? What do I do? So how do we, it sounds like you have this, you have an idea of, of the kind of conversation that you want to, you want to generate with them. So in a bit more detail, can you flesh that out for us? What should, what should a student do? And of course we have so many, so much amazing content of yours online that we can learn from and there's courses, but how, how do we do that? And because yeah. one of your core programs is called name your story. And maybe mm -hmm. that relates to it a little bit. Yeah, name your story. And actually the course that, that's a little bit better fit for this specifically is uh, find your why, know your way, right? Mm. If you know your why, and this is a, a course that students can get today on my website. If you know what your why is, what your motivation is for why you want to do the things that you want to do, it's going to help inform the decision-making process. Because often when we are anxious, we struggle with indecisiveness, right? It's really hard to make a choice. And if you are rooted in the values, I always say values induction is not about pain reduction. No matter what you choose, there's some pain attached to any choice, right? There's always an element of sacrifice. But if you're rooted in your values, it's going to give you that grounding. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go through your values, because there's a long list, like I said, and you can even go on, you know, a website and get a values card sort, for example, you know, as you go through the list of words, you want to be thinking about what words feel most congruent for me? What words can I not live without in my life? For me, I know one of those words is gratitude. Like if I am not feeling grounded in gratitude for what's around me, 
life isn't feeling complete. I also know, I don't know if we have any Enneagram friends or Enneagram fans on the call. I love using the Enneagram with my clients. Um, I know that I'm an achiever. Like that's something kind of in my blood. And achievement is honestly, at least in US culture, often a word that has mixed emotions attached to it, especially for women sometimes of, oh, you're an achiever, you know, you, you know, you'll, you'll do anything to achieve, you know, and that's really not the case. But being honest with myself of yes, I am an achiever, that's something I want in my life, rather than trying to diminish that or be really humble and meek about that. Um, owning this is something I value. Once I was able to name that, it really gave myself the permission of, okay, let's move forward to help achieve this goal that matters to me. So that's why I say, you know, as you go through your values, be brutally honest with yourself. If your goal is to be incredibly financially successful, for example, be honest about that. You don't need to hide that, right? Be truthful with yourself or otherwise that's often when folks end up really unhappy because they're living for someone else's values and not their own. And, and maybe what's coming up here a little bit is the importance of truth. Yeah. Uh, maybe as a society and as students who have grown up with a lot of public exp expression, which is healthy to have public expression of your feelings, we're a much more open generation in that sense. People talk about themselves and talk about what's going on. But maybe there's a little bit of an underbelly to that, which is that it's still curated in some way or it's like there is fear to to be more st brutally straightforwardly honest. Like if I say I value finances, does that mean like I'm not sensitive to the the dangers of obs obsessing about finances and exactly. exploitation issues? Or you know, if I'm a driven woman, does that mean I don't care about family? Like just things that maybe you know on an we 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 generalize, but we when we get to the level of the individual, the honesty is not. We need the honesty. We we deserve to have that honesty. And maybe these kinds of experiences, like a course like this, forces us to reflect much more honestly than we perhaps would up until that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And that's why you, this is not something that you need to put out on blast. This is a really personal process, but being honest and forthcoming with yourself, I think is so important. And, you know, really starting to suss out what are society's values versus your actual own, right? Because I talk about this a lot with folks, you know, it seems like there's two, you know, really big things that people get pushed on them these days. One, happiness. You need to choose a life where you're happy all the time. And the other being, choose a life that you're passionate about. What are you passionate about? Well, guess what? There's a lot of jobs sometimes where you may not be passionate about it, that doesn't mean you failed at your life. That job meets other goals. That meets other values that are important to you. And I see a lot of folks who experience a lot of shame and stigma of like, what does it mean that I'm not happy or passionate about the job that I do? Have I failed at my life in this way? You know what? Sometimes a job is a job and you're making your ends meet and that's fulfilling other values for you. So I think we kind of need to take another look at that because a lot of us got a lot of messaging when we were young that if you don't choose something you're super passionate about or you're super happy doing, then you failed in some way. And I really don't think that's true. Well, there's this idea, and I think at times in certain places and contexts, it's really beautiful, which is that people feel called to something. There's a calling. I, I, I have I have something that I feel was made for me. And 
I do believe that there are experience and not it's not only by the way reflected in a career it might be about other values in your life but that's one narrative that's one story but what can lead to disappointment is that first of all we're used to watching movies where there's like a hero and the hero is the central character and you have a whole story around that that you're meant to be so great and so brilliant and so perfect and it's just mm-hmm. we're all people living in our yes global in some way but also our local lives and you know there's there's counter narratives to that there's people that talk about range dr epstein talks about range that that, that not everybody needs to be a so such as have a specific calling in one narrow zone in order to be successful there's cal newport fighting against the idea of the passion hypothesis that really doing valuable work that helps you build rare and valuable skills is another way to to go about that and on the broader level that you're talking about it's values maybe my job isn't exciting on x y and z but it provides certain values like flexibility and um you know um, mastery but it's maybe lower on excitement or lower on you know but it but it's a give and take it's a give and take Mm, you're ringing all my bells yes i i totally agree and and i think it's nuance like this that we need to start bringing to the conversation so that um people don't feel that shame or that sense of disappointment if their narrative doesn't look exactly like how the movies or how the fantasy maybe gets portrayed and you'd be surprised you know how how, even when you grow up how how deep that stays with you that's that story um yeah i wanted to pick up on one question i have for you based on what you mentioned a couple times here about society's values or key influences values and Mm -hmm. your own values because we grow we we are living in a community regardless we are not individual we are not individuals only right so tell me about Mm -hmm. that for example sometimes i got into my career particularly because i was paying attention to the feedback of others that were saying hmm like you're good at something here. And sometimes people can see things that you don't see about yourself. So how do you take feedback, be able to hear things both that you like and that you dislike from others and learn how to filter that so that you still feel authentic to your own voice, but you're not shutting out people in your life that might have really valuable things to share with you. Mm, That is such a great question. And it's true. People do often see things in us that we don't always see for ourselves or they bring something to light. And I I think you have to weigh that, right? Does it feel congruent for you? Incongruent? Ultimately, you are the decider of that narrative, you know, but we we are getting kind of bombarded a lot and, and not even realizing it oftentimes, these societal values that are placed on us. And I think that's that's just something that we need to get curious about and and not hold the judgment to ourselves with. I I see this a lot, for example, in my clients who identify as Asian, where sometimes there's that family collective value of we want you to pursue this path. And they may have their own individual interests of, oh, well, I really want to pursue this individual path. And I often see that really leading to some internal strife sometimes. Sometimes the decision is, you know what? I value that sense of family harmony. And so I'm going to make this choice that maybe keeps my family more in a state of balance. And that feels like more of the congruent choice for me. Other times the person says, nope, I'm going to pursue this individual path. And I'm going to sit with the discomfort of my family not liking that decision, you know? And that's such a personal choice. I really think it's our job as therapists to help the client come to their own conclusions with that. Um, But I think that's just one example, right? Where 
you know, sometimes in the US, we can really push an individualist narrative, you know, of like, do what's best for you. Sometimes, though, for folks, it is more about the collective narrative of maybe not what's best for me individually and my happiness. Maybe my happiness is rooted in seeing this sense of collective harmony. So I think that's always, you know, really important work to hold that balance, that symbiosis, and know that it's not always individualistic for everybody, you know? What's emerging from this kind of conversation, which I think is really hard, is that in physical health issues, we have mostly, not always, and there are different options, we have clear-cut solutions, pathways, and ways to fix it. With mental health, there's a lot of a dialectic that that goes on that doesn't lend itself so well to that model where there is one strategy. And even in society, we want answers to everything. So we simplify, we join team X and we join the whole team and we, we lose um, a nuance and a dialectic. And it sounds like in the therapy context, maybe students can learn to experience a dialectic where it's, it's, it's not this, completely postmodern that there's no such thing as anything that there you know that you're totally rootless and you can't know left from right but you're constantly negotiating what's in, what's important to you and there's a cost benefit in pursuing this when with that and the benefits from this pathway if you're going to be more collectivist are going to lead you to these things and the pathway for more individualists are going to lead you to these things and instead of just trying to say things would be better if we were more collective or things would be better if we were more individual or things would be better if we all did these X rules, kind of like a medical model almost. Yeah. By the way, I'm very pro um, mental health um, psychiatry. I'm not in any way, shape or form against that whatsoever. Um, yeah. But I'm just trying to navigate that, uh, mm-hmm. navigate the dialectic that people experience. I love that you bring up the dialectic. It's one of my favorite tenets of therapy. Uh, the both and when I learned about it was, I found it to be just incredibly liberating especially you know oftentimes with anxiety we so badly want control I'm sure you see this with OCD too we want there to be a right and there to be a wrong and I think it can feel really scary for folks so like what do you mean there isn't just box A and box B like it could be both but box A B B A B A 1 B A B B 2 or (laughs) exactly it can be endless you know but when we can hold room for the both and, you know, I, I think it's so liberating, but I feel like we're at a time societally um, where there's frustration if you don't pick one or the other. And what does it mean if you're not, you know, in one camp or this, that? And um, I I really hope we can start to move into that place of nuance where it's okay to see both perspectives. It's, so you know, and obviously, like you said, there are certain things that, you know, it's clear, it's not okay. You know, things like racism, um, homophobia, things like that's clear. But, you know, when someone has a difference of opinion than you, or you're even in a shade of gray yourself where you're trying to figure out how do I make this next step, that it can be multiple things and not just one. So given all this, we're, we're emphasizing the importance. I think part of the importance of all of this no matter what system or questions you're asking is that you're sitting down intentionally to pause and ask yourself. Um, I I believe that people should start using as much as possible, quote unquote, business acumen for their own life. So if they were evaluating decisions that a business should make, 
you would never just make the decision. You would be like, okay, hold on a second. Who do I know in every single field, all of my options, I need to speak to like four different marketing people, this, and this, I'm going to speak to these people. I'm going to make this business plan. I'm going to evaluate. And I actually integrate, we're both virtual therapists. I integrate like an, a living interactive Google doc that has tabs and headings and I'm sort of recording and making sense of and organizing and, and helping people like love this. I want to with, see this now. <laughs> yeah. Deal with life as business is not to me in, in my value system. I very much care about vocation and business. Mm -hmm. I care more about the meta sense of like, how am I living? And it, cause that's my life and my values. And then one of them happens to be that. So it's, it's my career is one level of that. So business acumen is way more important for things about evaluating like a life partner, this, that, like all these things, like sit down and think about your life. Um, you know, you want to learn about yourself. Think about it, write it down. I always talk about writing it down. It's a great form of also from an act like diffusion, separating yourself a little bit from your ideas. So I think our goal in all this kind of work as therapists and helping people at this stage is to help them capture, stop, pause, and reflect and think, even if we don't have an easy, you know, one, two, three, four system, whatever mm -hmm. it is, can we stop? Can we think? Can we collect ourselves? Maybe that's one of the benefits of all this kind of work. Sit with yourself. And that's why I think most of the time people who start therapy, they love the process because they really, it's like doing yoga with your mind of just taking time to come to the mat virtually and be mm -hmm. with yourself. You know, I think that's why so many of us are engaging in a lot of numbing behaviors where we are just going through the motions. We barely even know what day it is. How did we already get to November, right? Because we're just zooming through. And I think if, and we were talking about distress tolerance too, you know, in DBT, if we can sit with the discomfort, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, I think that is one of the best skills we can invest in. Um, because a lot of us, I think, have become very averse to anything uncomfortable, whether it's putting ourselves out there, asking someone on a date or talking to someone new or doing something new with our business, choosing a career path, right? That we maybe don't know much about. All these things, stepping into the discomfort of it is so incredibly rewarding. And I think if we can lean back into that a bit, I think it's gonna help us get through this huge insurgence that we're having of anxiety. And, and, and slow and patience and acceptance towards these feelings because they're human. Like people, when they want to work on their anxiety, it's like, I want it to go away and stop forever. Um, <laughs> part of life, and, and hopefully it's manageable, you're able to handle it and, and you, you, you know, living a good life, et cetera. But the anxiety is part of your experience, is part of your life. Um, in, in the Hebrew language, the word for, for patience is called savlanut. And the word for suffering is called sevel which is the same word. It's just in a different, uh, the same three letters of the root word, mm -hmm. you know, forms of suffering, whether it's anxiety or feeling uncomfortable, whatever. First of all, be patient with it because it doesn't last. It changes. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's dangerous. It doesn't mean that there's, that it's bad that you have to run away from it. And mm -hmm. it, 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 it is what it is. It's telling you something. There's ways to work through it. There's ways to accept it. And especially if you're feeling it, when you start thinking about your career, does that mean it's to run away? Probably not. It's probably not a good idea. It's probably a really good idea to stay there and to move past it and to see what it is that I really want to do because that's a a spot that there's a lot of a, a lot of need 
to address as opposed to run away and avoid. And yeah. and asking these questions is so important. So I want to ask you, Dr. Cook, what are like the last, maybe just three things that you really want to tell students, talk to students on a personal level, um, the last three things that you would think, I, w- I wish I knew at that age when I was going through that, maybe maybe you could do a little exercise like that for yourself. What would that be? What would, what would you want to tell the students? Mm, that's great. Two big things come to mind. So like I said, I'm a behaviorist at heart. I really think we have to show ourselves behaviorally how capable we are. Anytime we avoid, we run away, we don't get that corrective experience of seeing, oh my gosh, I lived through that. You know, even me getting sick the other day, I lived through it. And it's like, see those fears that you had, you survived through. Anxiety really works like a wave. And when that wave spikes up, whatever it is for you, whether it's giving a speech in class or um, meeting a new roommate or, or having a conflict with somebody we tend to want to avoid right but if you can ride out that wave get through to the other side you're going to see that you survived it and every time you do your confidence is going to grow your resilience is going to grow and the wave of that fear gets smaller so ride out the wave when you can and the other thing i'll say too this is um sage wisdom from my 91 year old grandma joan i didn't come up with this and i don't think she did either to be honest but this this saying that this too shall pass and i really think of that quote in two ways one we think of it obviously from the pain perceptive right of this will pass just like what you were saying this this anxiety this pain it doesn't last forever but i think of it another way too the joy, the goodness that's happening in your life. This is also going to pass. This year that you're in in school with your friends being right down the hall from you, this is going to pass. And it's so easy for us to wish our lives away and to get to the, I just want to get to Friday, the next break, that we miss all the goodness, the both end of the joy and the pain held together. They coexist at once. Um, And if you sell yourself a narrative that you can only be happy, if there's no pain in your life, you will be waiting till you're 91. So really learning to hold the joy and the pain together, knowing that this will pass and trying to challenge yourself to be present for all of it. That's what I'll I'll leave it with. Thank you to what's your grandmother's name? Grandma Joan. Grandma Joan. Thank you, Grandma Joan. In fact, uh, King Solomon, uh, three three thousand years ago, would have he had in Jewish lore and tradition. There was a, a ring that he he had, and there were three Jewish letter three letters there: Gimel, Zion, Yud, which was a standing for Gum Ze Yaavor. This too shall pass. He his consciousness was keeping on this idea that it's going to pass, it's yeah. going to pass, it's going to pass. And and God forbid people should be suffering needlessly or be going through suffering. We're not advocating like a life of this is not what we mean. What we mean is just you want to do the things in your life that you know you care about and that are valuable. And they're sometimes scary, but you, you can face it. You can face it. We can't guarantee that it will go away, but you can handle it and you will learn to be okay with it. And so our big message and takeaway, we hope for students navigating big decisions. How do I want to spend my life from a career, from a relationship, from a value standpoint, face it, at least face it. Don't run away. Give yourself the time and the space Check out the courses that are going to be available that we're going to link up on find your why, know your why, name your story, keep in the lookout and engage in experiences like this to discover yourself. And thank you so much for for sharing with us. Noah, thanks for having me on. I really loved our conversation. And of course, a disclaimer. 
This podcast and all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve with two vs.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five-star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two Vs, .ca to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next time, take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song Midnight Empty Street. <laughs>